You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Jeremy Paxton, and Hunter Atkins. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Welcome to episode 114 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and Hunter Atkins is going to join me here in just a few moments for a, uh, a great interview with Tim Kirkshin, who uh, needs no introduction, but he is a, a baseball analyst for ESPN and has been covering uh, Major League Baseball for uh, the last several decades and is probably one of the uh, uh, the most well-respected experts in all of the game. We're going to sit down with him for about 15 minutes uh, to discuss the World Series. And of course, uh, if you're listening to this right now ahead of game five the Astros and the Dodgers are tied at two games apiece and uh, this evening on Sunday Clayton Kershaw is going to take the mound against Dallas Keuchel in a, a pivotal game uh, the game or the series essentially will be heading back uh, to Los Angeles on Tuesday night and uh, Rich Hill will take the mound against Justin Verlander so this has all of the uh, the recipe uh, for this going to a seven-game series. And uh, we hope that you are going to enjoy this uh, interview with Tim Kirkshin. We're going to talk a lot about uh, this series. We're going to talk, uh, you know, where game two, which was just a, a phenomenal game in which we saw something like eight home runs go to extra innings, Astros hit three home runs uh, through the ninth inning on, where that game ranks among the all-time World Series games. Uh, Tim is also going to offer his thoughts on bat flips and uh, whether or not he thinks they are good for the game of baseball. We'll also talk about some key surprises in the series, uh, specifically the home run balls and uh, how uh, Cody Bellinger and George Springer have overcome adversity in this series uh, to become uh, pivotal players for their team. We'll also break down the bull Fins, specifically Ken Giles and his struggles in Game 4 in Houston. Also, preview of Game 5 and uh, what Kirkshin thinks will happen as the series shifts to Los Angeles. So it's going to be a great interview with Tim Kirkshin. We hope that you enjoy it. Uh, but if you want to follow our work, of course, you can follow uh, Hunter Atkins at Hunter Atkins 35 He will be covering the game for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, always provides some great content. Essentially, uh, all of the uh, Chronicle staff, David Barron, Jake Kaplan, Jenny uh, uh, Dial, Creech. They all provide great content throughout the series, and we hope that you follow them as well. But if you want to follow our work, just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, you can subscribe to our website at weeklybrewcast.com. But without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Tim Kirkshin. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. All right. Joining us now on The Weekly Brewcast is Tim Kirkshin, the actual Tim Kirkshin. Tim, you might not know it. But um, on occasion, I've been known to imitate you on our own podcast. Lovingly, I assure you. But um, your exuberance in baseball is, you know, a fruitful uh, muse for me and our uh, and entertaining our audience. Uh, for anybody who shockingly would not know, Tim Kirkchen covers baseball for ESPN and is an extraordinary humanitarian. I would say, um, Tim. Can you describe to us your day so far? I know you had to wake up very early just to please the audiences of the world. Well, this is uh, this is normal for the postseason. I had a 4.40 wake-up call this morning after about three hours sleep after covering game four last night. And then I rolled into Minute Maid Park at maybe 5.15, did about four hits on baseball for a sports center, I think I've got more hits than Ty Cobb this year. That's just how it works. Um, 
And then I came back and took a little nap because I'm going to be up all night doing game five. But um, no complaints here. This is what we all signed up for. This is why baseball is so great. And I can't wait to see what happens in game five tonight. Well, before we get to game five, I want to backtrack a little bit. To game two, um, where historically do you kind of rank that game? I, I imagine that must be in the top 20, 25 playoff games ever, maybe a little bit higher. It was, you know, bananas to see in person the exchange of home runs uh, and the eventual comeback of the Astros that really changed the entire series. Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly in the top 20 of games that I've ever seen, and I've seen every World Series game since 1981. Uh, I can't put it in the top five even because those are all reserved for elimination games jack morris in 1991 david freeze game 2011 a few others on that list but as far as the actual drama of the theater the playing of the game the back and forth the just historic nature of that game it's uh, it's pretty darn high on the list i mean the thought that you know more homers were hit in that game than any World Series game ever, and more extra inning home runs were hit in that game than any game in the history of baseball, regular season or postseason. Just stunningly great stuff. And that should have been a reminder to all of us that we are in for one of the great series of all time. Because when you play a great one like that in the second game of the World Series, you know even greater things are ahead. And I'm sure... Uh, so many more things will happen in this postseason that'll just make us slap our forehead and and wonder, like, how did that happen? That is the type of infectious enthusiasm I'm talking about. A man who has barely slept. And, uh, you know, this is the energy output you put. I'm very grateful. Thank you, Tim. Um, what about, just, just to put a pin in game two, maybe this is not something you care about or are interested in, but I loved the bat flips. I thought it was great. And I think that, you know, it's it's indicative of the millennial generation that is so aware of social media and gifts and that, you know, their home run celebrations are going to be looped on the Internet forever. Um, whether it was Correa with his extravagant bat toss and then sticking his tongue out or even more artfully uh, Yasiel Puig gently placing his bat down on the dirt as a kind of silent trolling to uh, the Astros and their swagger. What were your thoughts about the home run celebrations, and really how you know it's changing among this group of young stars that is dominating baseball. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm okay with it. For a 60-year-old guy here, I'm not sure uh, I appreciate as much as I should today's millennials. At the same time, I'm with Brandon McCarthy of the Dodgers on this one. Several years ago, he told me, look, it's okay to show some life and some personality as baseball players. He said, we've all become homogenized. We all look the same. And he said, it's okay to turn on the TV, see a baseball player and say, I hate that guy. It's okay to do that. Every great drama has heroes and villains. And I'm okay now with bat flips and things like that, especially when they're played on the biggest stage ever. Now, a Tuesday night in Cincinnati in June, when you're four runs behind, I'm just not sure that's the time for it. But when a kid who has been waiting his entire life to play in the World Series and hits a homer off of, say, Clayton Kershaw, I'm okay with a bat flip, 
In fact, the more the better as long as it's within reason. But it just shows that these guys are really enjoying the game, which is kind of why we're all here. No, I'm happy to hear that at 60 years old, you still are very hip, Tim, I assure you. <laughs> I wouldn't say that, but I'm okay with a bat flip. Before we get into looking ahead at Game 5 tonight and uh, guarantee Game 6, maybe Game 7, what in the series so far has surprised you the most? What have you learned? What um, do you think maybe has either exceeded or you know fallen under your expectations? Just something that you know is kind of new and surprising to you during this World Series. Well, I, I just think we all need to understand, again, how much the home run ball plays in today's baseball, and this is no different in the postseason. I mean, game two is exactly what you're talking about. Eight home runs in that game. The Dodgers scored six runs. Uh, they had five hits, and they had four homers. The Dodgers have given up a home run in 12 consecutive postseason games, which ties a major league record with the Cardinals in 2004. The Dodgers have given up 34 runs in this postseason. 27 of them have come via the home run. So it's just another reminder of how baseball is played today. Lots of strikeouts and lots of homers. And if you're going to score a run these days, it's usually done by hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Bruce Bochy of the Giants told me in May this year, it is easier than a home run off of Max Scherzer than it is to get three hits in a row off of Max Scherzer. And that's what a lot of teams and a lot of hitters are looking to do now. How are we going to get a ball up in the air and out of the ballpark? And that's just another reminder during this great World Series, uh, this is how you win these days. You, you hit the ball out of the park. Now, Tim, two guys that have kind of – had a rough go at, at some point in the series would be George Springer for the Astros and Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers. Of course, Springer had that uh, game-winning home run in Game 2 of the World Series, and Bellinger on Saturday night had two clutch uh, doubles, including the go-ahead RBI double uh, in the ninth inning. Uh, both are young guys, both making their first World Series appearance. What does it show to you that the managers for both teams, Dave Roberts and A.J. Hench, have faith in these guys, and these guys were able to turn it around uh, as we saw so far in the series? Right. Well, the one thing about our young players that has totally dazzled me in the last few years is how how ready they are when they get here and how the bright lights don't don't blind them completely. I mean, Cody Bellinger, this team took off like the day he showed up for the Dodgers, and he's as big a reason as any that they won over 100 games and did what they did. And he seemed completely unawed by the situation, even though he went 0 for 13 until the couple of big doubles in game four. And George Springer's the same way. George Springer had an 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, uh, third leadoff guy in the history of the World Series to have an 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and yet somehow he turned it around. And this is what so amazes me about our young players, such as Aaron Judge and others. They have these horrendous stretches where they strike out time and time again, and instead of getting frustrated and discouraged, they say, okay, we're playing another game tomorrow. I'm going to put that over here and not worry about it. And somehow they come out the next day, and really play well. That's Bellinger, that's Springer, that's basically all of our young players today. And I think that's really impressive to watch them struggle and then overcome it. And then on the pitching side, I, I will use this kind of language. I don't expect you to use this kind of language, Tim, but my God, the relief pitching sucks. It is unbelievable. 
I mean, the guys that are being brought in are so unpredictable, so unreliable, and the Astros, you know, it, the bullpen's been so bad that it's forced AJ to become so unconventional with how who he brings in, whether it's having Lance McCullers finish Game 7 of the ALCS or Brad Peacock finish Game 3 of the World Series. I mean, is it, um, what's the right word here? I feel like Tim Kirkshire would be disappointed. That you would be disappointed in seeing so many of these uh, hard-throwing arms just burn to ashes uh, in these big moments. Well, October changes everything, and October mostly changes the way that we use our bullpen and our pitching staff in general. I mean, we have starters relieving, we have we have closers going two and a third. Everything changes. But just look at what AJ Hinch has been through here. Since 1969, save save rule became official. We have had three four-inning saves total since then. And one, of course, was Lance McCullers in Game 7 of the LCS because A.J. Hinch said, I'm not sure I trust anyone else. We're going to let him finish. And then, of course, we had the Brad Peacock save of three and two-thirds innings because A.J. Hinch said, I'm not sure I have anything else here. Let's stay with him. Never happened that one team – has had a four-inning save and a three-and-two-thirds inning save in the same postseason. But it, it just serves um, to show that Hinch is, you know, he has to go by his gut feel now and his look at the pitcher, his eyes and ears. He has to trust here. This guy's still got it because I think he looks at Ken Giles now. He looks at other options and says, all right, these aren't the same options I had in June. This is October. Everything's different, and I better change along with everyone else. On the note of Giles, uh, I think a lot of fans in Houston were a little bit disappointed on Saturday night with his performance in the ninth inning and A.J. Hinch uh, calling him in, especially after Devo looked okay in the eighth inning. Uh, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what does Giles do for the rest of the series? To me, I think if the Astros are going to win this World Series, he's going to have to come in in a critical save situation, get some big outs. But at the same time, he struggled allowing runs in six of his seven appearances in the in the playoffs this year. What do the Astros do about the back end of the bullpen? Well, <laughs> that's the big question for tonight. Giles made seven postseason appearances and allowed 10 earned runs. That just can't happen at this time of year. A manager just cannot be at Game 5 of the World Series and not know who he's going to bring in tonight with a one-run lead in the ninth inning. But he doesn't know because I don't think they trust Ken Giles to do that anymore. Now, he may have to bring him in because he doesn't have another better choice with some of the workload that other guys have gotten. But my guess is Davinsky will get the ball in the ninth inning tonight with a one-run lead. But I may be totally wrong because A.J. is going to have to look at this and juggle a whole bunch of things to make a decision. But this just brings to mind exactly how great Mariano Rivera was, that he got through all of this for all those postseasons, and there was almost never a doubt about it. Here with the Astros, a huge doubt at a really bad time. For what it's worth, uh, I think Ken Giles will remain in a coffin for the rest of the series. And I think Joe Musgrove will get (laughs) more of those spots. Um, All right, let's look at Game 5 tonight. Clayton Kershaw, the best pitcher on earth, the pitcher of his generation against Dallas Keuchel, uh, who's had more success at home, but uh, has not looked nearly so dominant as a pitcher needs to be to defeat Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers. Tim, how do you think that game five tonight on Sunday will go? Well, I think it's going to be a great pitching duel because Keuchel's numbers at home, as you said, are 
are ridiculously good, including in the postseason, 3-0, 0.92 ERA lifetime. Kershaw, after nine pretty ordinary starts in the postseason, his last nine have been great, and he has been tremendous here in the last two years, especially in game one when he was as good as any pitcher has ever been in the postseason, only pitcher in World Series history to strike out 10 or more, no walks, three hits or, or less in a World Series game. And tonight he will attempt to be to join Bob Gibson and Sandy Koufax as the only pitchers in World Series history that multiple 10 strikeout games in one po- in one World Series. But he'll be going up against an Astros team that have not struck out 10 times at home against one pitcher all season. That's how hard relative terms they are to strike out these days. And that's why this should be such a fascinating matchup between two great left-handed pitchers, one of whom is on his way to making even more history, that being Clayton Kershaw. That's essentially a a best-of-three series with two of those games coming into L.A. on Tuesday and uh, Wednesday night. If you're kind of handicapping and predicting the rest of the series, how does it shape up? Well, I picked the Dodgers in seven at the beginning, and I'm going to stick with that. I think the Astros have a slight starting pitching advantage with Keuchel tonight with Verlander in Game 6, and if there is a Game 7, Lance McCullers. I like that that rotation slightly more than I like the Dodgers situation, but I certainly like the Dodger bullpen situation with Kenley Jansen at the end as opposed to unknown at the end for the Astros. The Astros clearly have a better offensive team to me, but with two games at home potentially for the Dodgers where they went 57-24 and this year, I like their chances to win this series, but this is the point. Anybody who really thinks he has an idea what's going to happen from here after watching this series and this entire postseason is fooling themselves. And that, of course, is what makes baseball so great, is its unpredictable nature. Something, I promise you, is going to happen in 5, 6, and or 7 that's just going to make us go, oh my goodness, we actually got to watch that happen. Well, I want to say, oh my goodness, we actually get to speak to Tim Kirchin on our podcast. So I'm super grateful that you took the time, Tim, especially on such a busy day. Uh, you know, Tim, I think, sounds like the nicest man in the world. And I will tell everybody who is listening, he is the nicest man in the world. So thank you so much. I, uh, the last thing I want to ask you, Tim, is would it, you know, would it insult you or would it flatter you if you were to hear me do the impersonation that I do of you on our podcast? Uh, I've heard these before, by the way, and if I really sound like this, I have to go get another job or another voice <laughs> or something. But yes, it would be an honor for me to hear your impersonation. Go. Well, Tim, uh, Yasio Puig is the only player to finish a triple by wagging his tongue and crawling like a baby <laughs> over third base. That was really bad, but thank you so much for trying. They're all really bad, but my voice is really bad. So this is all a giant compliment. I really appreciate it. Mockery, not mockery, mimicry is the uh, greatest form of flattery. And we feel very flattered to have had you. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.